RadioInfluence.com. We are back for another edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Daniel Galvon. I am Jason Floyd. Come here on this week's edition of the show. We'll take a look back at what happened at Bellator 273. Get you ready for Saturday's UFC Vegas 47. Plus, we got a ton of other things we can talk about here on the show. Kayla Harrison's talked about her free agency. We have got uh, Eagle FC had their United States debut last week, so it's a ton to talk to. Plus, I've got four fighter interviews for you. You're going to hear from a fighter that's going to be a part of next week's UFC 271, Leomana Martinez. Also, you're going to hear from a, a fighter that you've probably not heard do an interview in a while, and that is former UFC fighter Boston Salmon. He is going to be a part of the Fury card uh, coming up next week, so hear from him. Also, you're from Cody Steele will be a part of that uh, Fury card. A BJJ practitioner making his pro debut. Also, you hear from an undefeated fighter who's fighting on Saturday as he's headlining the Peak Fighting 17 car card, Malik Lewis. But Daniel, I'm getting ready for the show today. And, uh, you know, I'm putting that, you know, get, you know, pulling up some quotes I want to talk about on the show. And I'm like, ah, I need to go to the ESPN website. Cause like to me, the ESPN website, MMA website has become the best place to find the, the fight card, you know, betting odds, things along those lines. The very first story I see headline Tatu Avasa drunk when I agreed to Lewis fight. Like, is there anything more on brand than that headline? No, absolutely not. It's the best headline ever. It's a positive MMA headline, you know, tied to Avasa, Derek Lewis as well. They just bring light to our lives. Often we, we pull up on the MMA websites and honestly, you just get a sick feeling in our stomach, whether it's somebody committing a crime, somebody's getting canceled for saying something, etc. When it's just tied to Avasa saying he was, you know, drinking some shoeys whenever he got the opportunity of a lifetime, that just warms your heart. My question is how often does he get drunk? And what day of the week was it? If it's Tuesday, we're starting to get a little concerned about Tuavasa. Okay. All right. So here is the full quote from this story on ESPN.com. This is uh, Tata Tuavasa. Quote, I was on the piss. I was blind drunk. I didn't notice until the next morning that Mick Maynard messaged me and I had messaged him back. He messaged, are you awake? And I was like, yeah, it's like 430 in the morning. And then I woke up to 20 missed calls from my manager, from my coach, and S like that. So I was like, something must have happened. And then it came up, and why not? Why wouldn't I? It's a great opportunity. Obviously, he's number two, number three, or whatever he is. He's a fan favorite. I'm a fan favorite. I respect Derek, what he's done, and the person he is. Why wouldn't I say yes? I think it's a all win-win. It's an opportunity for me, so I'm all in, and I think it's my time. It's my time to take over and become the new finger uh fighter of the generation just like he was before me i think it's my time to take over so when you see that very first quote where he talks about being blind drunk and you know messaging with mcmanor i feel like i i know the ufc matchmakers don't talk like i feel like this is like the one time hey mick can we get a comment what what, what was this interaction like I don't even know if Mick should comment because I think he may have committed a crime. I, I feel like if you get someone to sign a contract when they're blind drunk, that might be a crime. I'm not sure. I'm not a Supreme Court judge, but 
I, I just feel like, Jason, if you're drunk and I put a contract in, in front of you that says you owe me $100,000 a month and you sign it, I don't know if that's going to hold up in court. But I would love to hear uh, Mick. And the thing is, I probably would assume Mick didn't realize if Ty was drunk or not. I just think because of Ty's general jovial attitude, happy-go-lucky nature, he probably didn't think he was drunk, maybe just a little sleepy. I, I did see Derek Lewis said he would not do a shoey out of his own shoe. I did oh, see that. Oh, that's messed up. Uh, I know that's probably, you know, but, you know, the question is, I, I just feel like I've partied in Houston. I feel like there's going to be plenty of people who have the shoey ready to go for Tatu Vasa. Oh, yeah. Win or loss, they'll have it ready for him to go. Yeah, man. I mean, he's we've seen a lot of these guys and gals become stars over the past couple of years for doing outrageous stuff. Obviously, later on, we're going to preview Sean Strickland's fight. He's certainly built up his name value in unorthodox ways. But I never in my life thought that a guy would become a star because he drinks beer out of a shoe. But here we are. We got the, the UFC's aversion of Stone Cold Steve Austin. I just thought of this. I just thought of this. You know, you go to a sporting event, you know, baseball game, you know, football game, basketball game, whatever. You've got the beer guy who's, you know, walking down the steps. Who wants a beer? You know, they're flinging out beers. Like if you're the beer guy in the Toyota Center, you just gotta sit there and say, right before Derek Lewis and, and Todd Two also make the walk, you gotta go get reloaded. Oh yeah, you do. I mean, they should sell beers out of shoes. They should sell like a fifty dollar beer. Don't don't you, don't, don't <laughs> do not tempt the UFC like that. Do not tempt. You know they sell these venom shirts like 75, 80 bucks. Could oh you imagine a, a oh, they just did the apparel deal with the rock. So like is there gonna be some rock shoe that they're gonna sell for everyone to take a a, a uh shoey out of? If Ty Tuvasa fights for a championship, they should do that. Especially if it's like, you know, maybe a hometown game for Tuvasa. They should totally do that. I mean, who wouldn't buy that? Right? Yeah. I mean Guaranteed, the UFC would much rather have Tafu Tuvasa as their champion than Sean Strickland. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gosh, I, you know, Sean Strickland, um, very entertaining guy, going to be honest with you. I, I feel like I mentioned it either a week or two weeks ago, but I knew something was happening because I don't follow him on Twitter, but every time I log on to Twitter, I see one of his tweets suggested to me. That's how you know the algorithm is trying to tell me, hey, pay attention to Sean Strickland. And if the algorithm's telling me that, it's telling a lot of people. I, I just think the UFC is going to either – one thing they don't want is for him to go on the Joe Rogan podcast because I feel like the power of Joe Rogan and Sean Strickland, I think they'll just cancel just the entire sport in general. I think the cancellation will just be supreme because, yeah, that's like the immovable force meets the uh, irreplaceable object or whatever the hell that goes. Just too, I just don't want to see it. The universe might explode out of the insanity that happens there. I mean, he was on Ariel's podcast, and Ariel's a pretty, you know, safe interview, and he's admitting that he's like a sociopath that kills people, that wants to kill people or something. Uh, but I, I enjoy Sean Strickland's social media presence. I am worried. I am very worried, especially after the apartment tour. Dude, I'm telling you, if people have not seen the apartment tour, I I, I know uh, it's on MMA Junkies website. He, he did on uh, on his Instagram, and it is. Um, I, I wrote down three lines from this uh, tour, his, his his crib tour of his uh, his apartment. I guess it is. He's in the kitchen. He has a bottle of lube. His quote. Never have too much lube. 
Then he starts showing his guns that are just hanging in the kitchen out and about. And he, he's talking about the one gun he takes to the mailbox in case a crackhead comes up to him. Yes, which is just terrible. And then he goes to the bedroom. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know how it's going to go. And then he goes, he shows his bed. It goes, bed frame is for effing losers. Just a bad take all around. Just a bad take all around. Sean Strickland needs somebody in his life to show him that, like, bed frames are great. And, like, being able to flush your toilet with the handle and not by going into the tank is how you should live your life. The fact that he has to do that reminds me of, like, me as a in college when I just couldn't get proper plumbing. Like, like yeah, Sean, Sean Strickland, I will say, very, very funny guy. What's that? See, now, now you just remind me of something else in this video. Yeah. When he goes to the bathroom. Yeah. And he has to uh, jiggle the, the handle underneath. He just puts his hand in the water. He doesn't even wash his hand after he's done. It's, I feel like he may be like, it, it, like, uh, has he not learned anything from COVID? Like, I feel like the okay. one thing that's going to happen after COVID is that we would all just wash our hands. All right. But I, I think that, I, I'm, that? I'm going to role play with you, Daniel, here. Okay. You work for USADA. Yes. No, no, I don't. You, I don't ever go to a house. You know, and now you have seen this Sean Strickland video. Do, I, are you a little concerned when you when you knock on the door? Do, okay, I, I gotta feel like at that point, if they say, "Hey, hey, uh, Daniel, we need you to go to Sean Strickland's apartment at six a.m." You're like, "Nah, dog, nah, man, I'm good." No, the person doesn't get paid enough. I'm using my sick day. Sean Strickland is definitely the least tested guy in Uzada. You're totally right. Yeah, that's such a funny point. Maybe, you don't want to be knocking on his door. Hey, maybe Sean Strickland has figured out the code. He's like, I'm going to put this video out there, and the USADA guy is going to be scared to come to my house at 6 a.m. Yeah, that would be a funny Mount Rushmore to make it just people you wouldn't want to USADA test. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, he's he's insane, man. Uh, but I will say he is funny. Like, I was watching the video, and I was like, Loki, this guy is pretty funny. Like, he had some good one-liners. You could tell he kind of like is in on the joke, yeah. but also, or, or, you know, he's in on the joke, but also at the end of the day, he still does live like that. And that isn't concerning. Like, like the, he shouldn't like, he, like, he probably has like the guns and the lube probably makes up 50% of the things he has in his apartment, which is just not a good ratio. Like it shouldn't be 50, 50 with everything else, 50, 50 guns and lube. He, he needs probably just more things, more furniture. For the love of God, a bed spring. I mean, that's got to affect your performance inside the cage. I feel like Jack Hermanson, just his odds got to go in his favor now, knowing that Sean Strickland hasn't had a good night's sleep in like five years. Yeah, I know. Oh, man. But, I mean, look, it straight up looked like a single dude's apartment. Dude, it did. It looked worse. It looked, it looked like, a, like a if you would put a 12-year-old by themselves in an apartment. <laughs> Like, not even just a single dude. This is crazy. <laughs> it is a single dude at least has like a movie poster of Top Gun or like, you know, Patrick Mahomes throwing a football pass. This had no decor. This had nothing. And respectful because, respectable because you got to think, you know, obviously we know MA fighters aren't the wealthiest of individuals because, you know, a lot of the money isn't, you know, gets kept by the promotion, but they make a good living. And uh, you got to think he's probably saving a lot of money in the bank because he obviously, 
doesn't spend it on a whole lot. So hats off to him. He does seem to be financially responsible, I think. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about Sean Strickland uh, when we start talking about UFC Vegas 47. Of course, this is the MMA Report podcast. Great way to show your support for the podcast. Leave a rating and review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify now has ratings. So uh, it's a great way to show your support for the podcast. Uh, you know, but Daniel, there's other things that have been going on in, in terms of, of mixed martial arts o- over the past couple of days. Uh, we had the Jake Paul music video, the the diss of Dana White, um, which I, I watched the first time. And my, my initial takeaway from it was Antonio McKee being in the video, like being a supporter of Jake Paul. I, I went back and because uh, I, I wanted to find the time mark when, when Antonio McKee initially is in the video, which is at the 52nd mark. But did you notice the little uh, little warning right before the video? Is I didn't read it all the way. Just like this is fictitious, yada yada. Yeah, yeah, Was basically, yeah, it, yeah. It says the events and subject matter portrayed in this song and video are fictitious and should not be taken as factual reporting. All public figures or celebrity, uh, like it says, that it, uh, basically saying, hey, you know, it, it is what it is. But the thing that the reason Antonio being in that is there's a story that I don't think a lot of people have talked about. And I saw it get taught and I'm going to correlate this into, I'm not going to, we're not going to sit here talk about Jake Paul because look, I really don't think he's going to help fires, but hope he does really don't think he is. But one of the, you know, with all the talk of Francis Ngannou and the championship clause, no one is talking about AJ McKee. AJ McKee did an interview about a month ago with CBS sports where he talked about his free agency uh, situation, uh, and, and basically he talked about how he, when he won the the Bellator title, it kicked everything in. And uh, you know, I'm trying to find the exact. Uh, maybe it cut off a little bit, but this was this was the quote that he had here. Uh, excuse, here it is, uh, McKee quote. That's one thing I learned about after a fight and becoming the champion. This is a whole other world contractually that I have to figure out. With my fight, it extended my contract three fights. It's figuring out either we sit down and we get some good numbers going or I fight out my contract. Three fights and a test free agency. This is a business. This is a lifeline of business, not only for myself, but for my father and for my four-year-old little brother. We're... We're talking not second generation, but third generation of fighters coming up. Like I said from day one on the Floyd Mayweather MMA, take it or leave it, be happy with it, argue about it. The proof is in the pudding. I have to go through and look at my record. 18 fights, I fought 33 rounds and haven't lost a round yet. I'm kind of excited about that. That That's the kind of gangster to me. That's some saucy stats. I'm excited to see what Bellator's future holds. 100 million is my goal. I want to make that a hundred million. This is a bigger, better, or and more of all sports. By that time, I'm fifty and oh, definitely need a hundred million. Which when when I saw Antonio McKee in that video, I'm sitting there going, Are we not thinking about the bigger picture here? Because it could be a year from now. AJ McKee wants the UFC to come to the negotiating table to get Bellator and get the PFL and one championship to pay more for his services. I feel like Antonio, his father appearing in that video probably hurts him. Yeah, surely. I mean, the UFC, the people behind the UFC are incredibly like they have a long memory and they're spiteful. <laughs> I mean, those are two things that, that they have. Now, if AJ McKee wins his next three fights and he's 21 and 0, 
the UFC is going to come to the table and they're going to offer him a lot of money, even if if Antonio McKee's in the next 10 Jake Paul videos. Where I think it hurts AJ is maybe if he loses a fight, if his yeah. value diminishes, if he doesn't go perfect. That's when the UFC might not come to the table and might not give him the best offer in the world. But I do think if he maintains the aura of being unbeaten, uh, of winning every round, of quite possibly being the best fighter in the world, he might have that claim eventually. He's on the he's on the road to having that claim. I mean, he, he took out Pitbull. He's 26 years old. He might be the best pound-for-pound mixed martial artist in the world. He hasn't proven it quite yet, but he's on the verge of doing so. If he is that, the UFC is going to come to the table. Where it hurts him is if he drops a fight in Bellator and he still wants that UFC money. Because, again, these are people that have very long, long memories. And surely the Dana White diss track is something that Dana White has absolutely seen. Yeah, I think I saw the other day 2.5 million views. Yeah, I mean. Oh, Gary, I would be absolutely shocked if Dana White has not watched it. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Chris Cyborg is going to walk out to it at the next Bellator event. I mean, she was in the video. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if she got paid for that. Oh, so. by, by, by the way, speaking of Chris Cyborg, you know, Katzingano claiming about uh, uh, Chris uh, not taking a drug test. And I know Chris has come out and talked about this. I, I reached out to people. Yeah, uh, that, that allegation is not true from, from people I've talked to. Mm, yeah, I'm glad you reached out to people. And by the way, just a side note when we talk about random things, I don't like seeing the Arizona Commission uh, withholding the fighter payroll. Thing. that just sucks and i know most states do it but just wanted to mention that i, well, I, I hate I, I hate that you know i remember when it happened here in florida and i remember the big thing that i was told was that it was basically lumped into that promotions like the ufc were trying to basically make certain aspects about their show private like how much tv revenue was coming in from that event how much ticket sales and you know so on and so forth and salaries got put into it i think unfortunately i think we're just gonna see more and more of it uh you know and, and i think for fighters it's not a good thing you know i mean like look you know when you look at the top of a fight card i i don't i don't put a lot of stock into those salaries but then when you sit there, you look at the, the the lower part of that card and you sit there and like, look, I love Dana White's con- uh, contender series. It's great programming. But really, what what has it produced? It's produced cheap labor for the UFC. These guys are coming in at 10 and 10. Like, like it, That's the part like, when we talk about fighter pay. It, that's the part that blows my mind is that the minimum salary in the UFC has not increased. Mm-hmm. And like those are high-level fights. Those are very high-level fights where you would not take that fight on the regional scene if you are these guys because right. you could lose that fight and you could lose that UFC payday. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's one of those things that like, as much as the UFC sits there and clamors about how revenues are so through the roof and all that, that's the one thing that just still blows my mind. Is like how you know, and, and and look, and I understand this. The reality is those tough questions are not going to come from the credential MMA media. It's just not. Yeah, and the thing is, the UFC has lobbying power to get these things and turn them private. There isn't someone on the other side fighting for it to become public. There isn't an equal lobbying power fighting these commissions on that. So the UFC can bully weak commissions, which is a lot of them, 
to making these matters private. I mean, can you imagine a professional sports league like the NBA not disclosing salaries? That would be crazy. Well, we both know the the agent wants those salary numbers out there, too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They do. They absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. It, it's just, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I saw that the other day and like, it, it was one of those things of like, and I had to laugh there like with the, I don't know if you saw the line, uh, Nolan King is the one to put it out there because he put a request in and the uh, Arizona commission goes, you can reach out to the promotion and see if they'll give you those figures. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, then I saw um, Amy Kaplan, a, a fan sided, uh, said she reached out to Eagle FC to see if they would release their salaries. Like, yeah. No way that's happening. No way. Gosh, and I would really want to know the answer to some of that questions because, I mean, the UFC card, they probably paid out more money than the Fight Night card we're about to preview. I, look, you know the thing is? I have not heard anyone say anything bad about the Eagle FC card. Oh, yeah, because they were paid to. No, well, kidding. no, but, but even like people that I would sit there and say, I know they would not be on the payroll, were yeah. all saying they enjoyed it. No, it was I, I, like I, I being tongue-in-cheek. It was a good little. I didn't watch everything. I watched Cody Gibson and Ray Borg. I watched that full fight, and I thought that was an awesome fight. And that is something that everyone should go and watch. And then I watched Rashad Evans, you know, use his grappling uh, to beat Gabriel Checo. And man, Rashad looks interesting. Man, he looked much smaller. His, his he looked cool. He looked so different too. Different hairstyle. Uh, just just so completely different. I mean, he looked like he was in the best shape of his life. He was I always had a little bit of pudge in his UFC run, but you could tell he was very similar to like, I hate to hit a sore spot on you, but like Tom Brady, where whenever he got older in age, he maximized his body. That's what it looked like happened with Rashad Evans. He, he looked like, you know, father time obviously isn't on his side. So he's going to just use his body. And this is one of those moments where you had an older fighter and you felt good about the fight because he was able to one more time, hold back the hands of time and beat a guy that he was a heavy dog against. But yeah, you, you talk about the Twitter algorithm. Uh-huh. I've been getting about every Tom Brady. Anyone who's tweeting about Tom Brady is coming to my algorithm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised <laughs> you uh I'm surprised you haven't just thrown your phone and buried it six feet. Bro, I was uh Friday night, me and my wife went to go see Gabriel Iglesias. He was here playing in, in Tampa, and literally this the text started rolling in from from friends on Friday night, like, ain't truth to this, ain't truth to this. I'm like, fellas, I'm gonna know when you guys know. Yeah, yeah, Tom's texting you. No. Tom is not texting <laughs> yeah. me and letting me know. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this retirement, obviously I'm a Texans fan, but this one's hitting me hard because it's making me feel old. Like, it makes me feel so old that I'm never going to see him play football again. Like, like he, I was like already in high school and he was still young <laughs> or mid-career. And yeah, it's like, damn, this is depressing. This is really depressing that next football season, I'm not going to watch him. I've never seen an NFL season without Tom Brady as a quarterback. Yeah, there was, uh, God, I forget, maybe Bleach Report put it out there, but it was like things that were uh, around when Tom Brady made his his debut. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, like, well, I think the Nokia, f- the Nokia phone with, where you played Snake on it just came out. <laughs> That's what... That's amazing. It was he played his first game, what, 1999 or 2000? Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, here it is. Last time Brady wasn't an active NFL player. LeBron James was a freshman in high school. Wow. Buccaneers and Patriots hadn't won any Super Bowls. Rams is that won. Sure? That's, is that, was, was that Tom Brady's Super Bowl, the first Patriots Super Bowl? Yeah. 
Oh wow! Yeah, because the Bucks won it in uh, January of uh, two thousand three. Uh, Rams won a Super Bowl. Mac Jones was one year old. Apple hadn't released the iPod yet. Nokia phones were in. Carlos Santana's Maria Maria was number one on the billboards. Here's a, here's a good one. PlayStation 2 was released. <laughs> Tiger Woods had just won two of his 15 majors. <laughs> what what year? What year was it? 1999? Uh, I want to say he came in the league in 2000. Okay. In 2000, heavyweight champion, Randy Couture. Light heavyweight champion, Tito Ortiz. Middleweight champion, nobody, because it didn't exist. Welterweight champion, I think Pat Militich. Lightweight champion, also didn't exist. Jens Pulver, I guess, was the inaugural U.S. lightweight champion. By, by the way, speaking of Randy Couture, really, uh, I thought it was an interesting uh, interview he had with Ergo on Monday um, in, in relation to the Ali <laughs> Act uh, of what's been going on there. Because it just seems like he hadn't heard much about like I've. I've asked people about the Ali Act expansion and like over the past couple of months, the kind of the same response I kept getting was, yeah, nothing new to report there. And yeah, uh, so Couture talked about how it was in one committee, got bounced out of that committee. Now they're in another committee that was a committee that initially did the Ali Act for boxing. So, you know, obviously a lot of the interview was about Francis, but I thought when he talked about kind of the, the efforts um, that are going on to try to expand the Ali Act to, um, not just mixed martial arts, but all combat sports. I thought was a, I, 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 I guess I'd never heard someone talk about that, that, that it's for all combat sports, not just boxing and MMA. Yeah, I didn't think so either. I wonder, so I guess boxing, kickboxing, obviously not wrestling, right? Pro wrestling is the last word. Uh, no, no, damn, that sucks. I guess I don't have a manager though, so. There is that. But, you know, I kind of thought that had we got, you know, if we had a Democratic um, president and, you know, people in the House and Senate, that a lot of these like labor things would have happened. But nothing has happened, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, let's be honest about it. It's going to be the, you know, the bottom of the barrel of, of what politicians in Washington, D.C. are worried about. I mean, let's just. What do you mean? There's nothing going on, right? There's not like a pandemic. No, no, no. There's nothing <laughs> going on, man. No, no, no nothing going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess this is a bad Yeah, this is a pretty bad time. Yeah, no, bro, I'm just telling you, telling you, man, like you got to do what I did. You got to stay away from political TV, man. Your life will be so much nicer. I know, man. I just I'm a news junkie. I actually I don't watch too much political TV. I just read like five articles a day on the New York times and then I'll kind of like go on the AP news and Reddit world news, Reddit just to see what's going on. But I'm uh, a news I, just, I go on Apple news and yeah, that works too. That works too. It's just cause I think Apple news doesn't work on my, uh, I don't know. I, I just don't, I'm not an Apple news person really, yeah. but, uh, that works. I, I just, I, I like news, you know, also very interested to see if we're going to be in a world war, you know, that would be a, uh, something I need to know about. Looks looking good now. Knock on wood. Um, before we get into uh, the first interview, I want to mention uh, the free agency of Kayla Harrison. We had a little update this week over the past couple of days. Kayla Harrison, she was at Eagle FC, and uh, she was asked about a free agency where she said, quote, at this point, I got the offer from the UFC, and I know what it is. I think timing-wise, just because certain things are going to happen with Amanda and Juliana, et cetera, et cetera, you know, timing is kind of everything in the sport. PFL is definitely the front runner, front runner, 
Bellator, we spoke to them, and I don't know the exact details of what was said between Ali and them, but I know what I had proposed, so that doesn't look like it's going to. We'll see what happens. By the way, Scott Coker was asked about Kayla Harrison, and this is what Scott Coker said, and I was surprised by this uh, statement by Scott Coker. Quote, there wasn't an official offer. We talked to our manager, and we talked about what a deal would look like. I think those conversations are ongoing. I don't think anything is set. I don't think she signed anything. And we'll continue talking to Ali tonight or next week. She's got a lot of offers right now, and we'll see what happens. Daniel, that first initial response from Scott Coker that there wasn't an official offer, that blew my blew my mind. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, maybe Ali's just throwing out a crazy number, and Scott Coker's like, yeah, we're not going there. I mean, that's got to be it because you would think that would be a priority that Scott and Bellator would get under because Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg is simply put the biggest fight that promotion could put on. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it's it's like, how is that not your number one priority? So it must be. You, you just got to think that the asking price is, is too much. That's, that's the only logical assumption because Kayla Harrison, Chris Cyborg could throw that on pay-per-view. Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg uh, put AJ McKee in the co-main event and let's make a star that will probably leave to the UFC. But yeah, you know, if Kayla Harrison resigns to the PFL, I'm done doing Kayla Harrison free agency talk. I'm not going to do this a year from now because we've done it every week and it's been interesting. And I'm just tired of it. And like, she's awesome, but I'm just kind of tired of the subject because it would just be annoying to, to do this all over again a year from now, because that's what it would be, right? Just a yearly thing. And I mean, it's just like, yeah. I mean, look. If I was Kayla Harrison and, and PFL is willing to do a one-year contract, you know what? Keep keep cashing those checks. The the rumor is, you know, the Ultimate Fighter the next season sounds like the UFC wants to do a Man Nunez Juliana Pena as the coaches. Uh, uh. Who? Why? Why? Why are they doing another season? Why? Cheap Who labor. Cares? Cheap labor. Yeah. Who cares? Jeez. The Ultimate Fighter sucks. Dude, I, I have no interest in the show. I, I make, just make Snoop Dogg one of the coaches, you know, and then I might watch. I'd rather you do you make a reality show based off Dana White's contender series. Jake Paul and Dana White as the two coaches. Oh God. <laughs> All right, they should do they should do it where Dana White and like somebody and Tio, I don't know. No, no Jake yeah. Jake Paul and Jorge Masvidal. That could get interesting. Yeah, and, and Logan Paul is one of the cast members. Yeah. I, I just, like, if you told me Jake Paul and Dana White are in the same room, like, I'd pay to be in that room. I mean, w- yeah, I would too. I would too. Uh, that would uh, that'd be very interesting. I This thing's got to come to a head at some point, and I'm very interested to see what happens. Yeah. You would, yeah. you would think. But uh, let's get into the first interview here on this week's edition of the show. You're going to hear from Lina Martinez, who fights next week at UFC 271. Talk to uh, the Houston-based fire about being able to fight in his hometown. Also, the fact of uh, he has done a little training at Glory MMA and Fitness uh, with James Krause. James Krause will actually be in his corner next week. So here's my conversation with Lina Martinez. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that we're going to see a part of UFC 271, Leo Mano Martinez. 
As always, man, appreciate time. It has been some time since we've we've seen you. So I was I was kind of thinking about as I was you know kind of you know putting down some notes for to, for our conversation was like, how long have you known about this fight? I've known about it since about mid December or so, maybe even early December. So I've known about known about it for some time, um, and I've had plenty of time to prepare. So it's been it's been a good while. I mean, obviously, it's not a 13, 14 week type camp. I mean, it's still a, a good sized camp here. So, um, you know, since you did have a good amount of time to prepare for this fight, did, was there kind of stages of, of the camp of how you kind of uh, tailored your training? Um, I wouldn't say stages. You know, it was just a regular, normal camp. I did switch a few things up. I headed out to um, Lee Summit, Missouri with uh, Glory MMA and James Krause. And I spent um, about five, six weeks out there. So a good amount of time, you know, got some great training in. And um, these last couple of weeks, I just recently got back home and finishing up my camp here. So, so it's a normal camp. Minus, you know, uh, the climate change over there in Lee Summit. But uh, it, it was a, it's been a great camp overall. You know, I was uh, I was going through your Insta- your Instagram, and you're not a, a guy that you know posts all the time. But, it, but I did see James Krause respond to one of them, and, and I did think I was like, man, did he did he go over to Missouri to get some work? So, what led you to decide of okay, I want to get some work at their Glory? Um, you know, after my last fight, uh, unfortunately, you know, some things happened with my coach, and um, rest in peace to him. And you know, after that fight. James, you know, went out of his way to contact me and, you know, um, personally through my phone. And he, um, you know, said I had a great performance, great fight. And uh, he would love to have me at at his gym anytime. And, you know, him really opening up his doors to me and reaching out to me, you know, really meant meant a lot to me. So uh, leading up to the camp and the beginning, I had a sit down talk with my family and, you know, close people close to me and we decided that's what was going to be best for me, you know, especially, um, trying to excel and help my, my career get to the next level. And I'm obviously at the fighting at the next level. So I just want to continue to get better. And, um, that was a great spot to go to and, and help me out to get there. I've spoken to so many people that either train at glory on a full-time basis, or, you know, they come there for a couple of weeks at a time and, and they talk about, James Krause as a coach for you, you know, just getting to know, you know, how he, you know, handles his athletes, how he's trying to get the best out of you. Was there, was there something that stuck out to you about him of why people rave so much about him? For sure. Yes. And, uh, everybody's speaking very highly about him. So I can back up a hundred percent what you were saying, but, um, it's not only on the mats, but it's off the mats as well. You know, um, he just doesn't look out for you as a fighter. He looks out for you uh, for your career in the long run and, you know, in real life as well. Because, um, you know, some coaches may just be looking out for you and what you do in the cage and octagon, which is nothing wrong with that. But, um, you know, for a coach to make sure you're okay outside of the cage as well. And, you know, your financial situation and how you'll handle it about and just other situations in general is, is, uh, something really that stuck out to me and, and, um, made, made, um, made, made him really look up to, made me really look up to him as, you know, a role model. And, um, just, just the little time I spent with him being, he, uh, learned a lot from him and, um, he showed me a lot. 
Obviously, you were you mentioned about the passing away your coach Salsalis a little earlier. When you look at it, you compare their coaching styles. Is it very similar? Uh, similar in a sense, yes. Um, yeah, I guess you could say similar in a sense, but very different as well. You know, Coach Saul kind of had that old school style, um, which is nothing wrong with that. Just put your head down and grind at work, which James has it as well. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a new time coming and, uh, you know, MMA is always evolving, whether it's from, you know, starting with Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys who took over, then to, you know, the karate guys, and now it seems like the wrestlers. And, you know, the, the sport is constantly evolving, and, and I feel like that's what James is, do, is doing, is evolving with the sport. And, um, yeah, Coach Saul was doing the same as well, but unfortunately, uh, like I said, things happen with him, and um, may he rest in peace. But, yeah, similar, very similar, but very different as well. You know, in terms of your corner for this camp, uh, who is going to be in your corner? So I have James, of course, uh, who I was just working with. And then the last two who were in my corner, Adrian and my dad. So good, good lineup, good team. And um, I feel confident with those guys. In, in terms of your dad being in your corner, what, is your dad quiet or, or does he speak up a little bit? Um, he'll speak up when he needs to, you know, but he kind of lets James handle it or he'll probably most likely let James handle it or Adrian. Um, you know, it's, I love to have him there for moral support and, you know, don't get me wrong when, when, um, strategy is needed or, you know, certain things he sees that I can be doing in there that needs to be corrected or he sees a certain opening, he'll let me know, but just having him in my corner since, I was young, you know, training martial arts and going over everything is, uh, you know, just a good mental aspect for me. And I feel very comfortable with him in my corner. So it's, yeah, it's very um, supporting of him. And when he needs to, he'll speak up. But other times, you know, he'll just kind of let the other guys do do what they have to. But if needed, like I said, it, he'll step up. You know, it's going to be a much different environment for you making your second walk to the UFC. I mean, A, you're going to be in front of fans, but you're also in your hometown. Like, I, I, is it one of those things of was was fighting in the Toyota Center kind of like a bucket list item for you? It definitely was. And, and I was blessed to um, have already fought there my amateur days for the um, Bellator undercard. But just kind of like the post fight card, technically, because I fought um, after the main event, which was I think uh, was it Gracie Shamrock or Kimbo and Dada, whichever it was. I fought after them, and um, just as an amateur, you know, it was it was real bright lights. Oh, mess is a big arena. Obviously, not quite as packed because the main event had had already finished, but um it was still cool just to get that experience out the way and to do it as a professional at the highest level, you know, for the UFC and making my second walk only is, um, something I'm super ecstatic for. I'm trying not to get overhyped and, you know, stay as calm as possible and save it all for fight night. But it's just, I just can't help but smile every time I hear about it and, and feel so joyful about it. Cause I, I one not only love fighting in front of a live crowd, but in front of my hometown, it's what I've done all throughout the regional scene, and uh, I've really excelled and shined when I'm in front of my hometown. So it's just going to be a great night overall, and I and I can feel the atmosphere already, just just pumped up and um amped up, ready to go. 
Is that kind of like, as you think about this matchup against Ronnie Lawrence and you think about like, you know, hey, the, these sort of things I have to do to, to walk away with the W, is Calm one of those keys to victory for you? Definitely, most definitely. You know, um, I know hearing the crowd and everybody cheering on my name, but, um, you know, and me up, but I'll just have to stay as calm as possible, you know, not fall into the, you know, the crowd hype and, um and just fight smart, fight fight technical. You know, as much as a crowd as the crowd wants to see a brawl and banging, at the end of the day, us fighters we have to be smart, especially myself, and um, you know, fight to our skill set and fight to um, you know, whatever most comfortable for us. So, yeah, I think being calm and, and keeping my composure would definitely be one of the main keys um, that fight night. And you can definitely see myself doing that if you watch my other fights. I. I stay as calm as possible, and um, yeah, once it's time to turn it up, I, I switch that that level and flip the switch and, and put the gas on the brake on, on the on the pedal. The brakes. I mentioned about your opponent, Ronnie Lawrence. Uh, hasn't It's almost exactly going to be a year since his last fight. He was supposed to fight in July last year, had an issue with the, with his weight cut. Um, you know, when you when you take on an opponent, and obviously you understand what his abilities are, there's plenty of tape out there on him, but he hasn't fought a year. Do, do you sit there and say, of, okay, I'm probably going to see something new, or, or is your mindset of like, I kind of know who he is as a fighter? Um, you never know which fight you're going to get at the end of the night. Um, you can study as much film as you want. Prime example will be my contender series fight. And I hate to bring it up and talk about it because it obviously didn't go my way, but, uh, I studied him and, you know, I seen a boxing background stand up and I was like, cool. This is going to fall right into my game. You know, I'm going to go in there, stand, knock him out, get my contract. And, uh, unfortunately I ended up waking up from a triangle choke. So Definitely can't underestimate him and um, just go based off what I've studied from the film and from what I've seen. Do I have a general idea of what his game plan is or what I think he might do? Yes, of course. But again, once that bell rings, all that can go out through the door and um, or throughout the window and he can switch the game plan up. So just got to be ready for whatever. And um, wherever I decide for the fight to go or the, uh, the fight happens to go, I'll, I'll be ready anywhere. Is your expectation of like I know I'm going to see takedowns? Mm-hmm. Yes, and then I go into that with every <laughs> single fight. Yeah, <laughs> obviously with my record being nine and two, eight TKOs, knockouts, uh, guys are going to want to try and eventually get me to the ground, and um, that's fine. I, I showed a little bit of a slight glimpse with my uh, wrestling, my last fight, and I showed I can take people down. So if we, if that's needed, we can go to the ground as well. But um, I try to keep it standing as much, but if not, I'd be more than glad to wrestle, scramble, and um, let's have the let's have the fight go anywhere. Uh, just thinking about what you said there about you know how much you know your contender series fight, and obviously the way you win, and you, you talk about watching all that film. Where does that kind of rank in your biggest lessons in the sport? It's got to be one of my biggest ones. It's definitely got to be up there. Um, so it's what drove me, you know, to get on my, my one, two, five, win streak and get another opportunity set up in front of Dana looking for a fight. So, um, it definitely taught me not to underestimate anyone. You know, I don't want to say I underestimated him, which maybe I did, but I just didn't expect the ground game. And I guess you can call that under, underestimating. So, um, yeah, it, it somewhat humbled me 
you know, I've always been humble, but humbled me even more, I guess you could say so. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a big lesson and, um, grateful, blessed for that loss as well as, as weird as it sounds to say that, but, uh, it just helped me excel to the next level. And it showed me like, Hey, we gotta be ready for anything, man. I I know we've had a chance to talk a couple of times. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Who, what are some of your greatest influences in, in martial arts? Some of my greatest influences, um, would have to be my dad. You know, I was just talking to him about that the other day. You know, I, I remember going and watching him compete at a tournament when I was younger, four or five years old. And, uh, just growing up through him, watching him. Another one of my influences, uh, uh like an older brother of mine, he wasn't my blood brother, but his name was Umberto De Leon. And he did very well on the regional scene. And um, growing up through my teen years, traveling to Louisiana, driving with him to Louisiana, Oklahoma, you know, to fight these uh, smoker fights, I guess you could call them, or just, you know, little bar fights. It was um, very inspiring. And then, you know, of course, you got like Hawaiian fighters like BJ Penn who have inspired me and, you know, that just scrap mentality. So, you know, I guess you could say those three main guys and, um, blessed and grateful to learn from my dad and, and Berto and, and the time that I did. And then, you know, just seeing BJ's growth and, you know, how well he did is, is inspiring. So I'm sure there's a few others I can name, but those, those three from the top, off the top of my head is what I can think of. It's something you said there about smoker fights. And, and I think anyone who's been in this industry, they, they know that term. Like as you think about, it, as you were growing in this sport, do you think you could put a number on how many smoker fights you had? I, I don't think I could put a <laughs> put that number on it. But yeah, if you know what smoker fights are, you you're really truly invested <laughs> in the game. And and if you know, you know. So um I, I don't think I could put a number on it, but uh there was there was quite a few. So it's just crazy to actually look back and think about it and, and how far we've came. So from smoker fights under the biggest lights in the, in the fight game. And it's a, uh, it's just truly a blessing, man. I, I can't preach and say enough about it. It's like, you've always said, you're not lucky. You're blessed. Always, always. I will live and die by that. I just, I, I, it lasts when somebody tells me, Oh man, that was a lucky punch. Or, you know, I'll see somebody say that. And I'm like, uh, you could think it's lucky, but I know deep down I'm blessed. And um, it's, it's, a, it's hard work as well. It's not only just blessing, it's the hard work, the blood, sweat, tears I put into this game. So especially with me only being as young as 25 and uh, it's just, it's, it's a lifelong journey. And I'm sure we could talk way, way more later down the road about that. But yeah, I'm, I'm blessed, man. I mean, the birthday is next month. I mean, we, we, uh, you, you know, it is really the, the one thing you want for your birthday is this W here at, at 271? Uh, it put the icing on the cake. You know, I haven't thought as far as my birthday. I'm just straight focused on next weekend. I know I've had people hit me up about, oh, where's the after party? This is your hometown. And I'm like, that's the last thing that's on my mind. Somebody even mentioned Valentine's Day being a couple of days after my fight. I'm like, I haven't even thought as far as solely and strictly focused on Saturday. Um, maybe I'll find a Valentine's. 
by a, a couple of days after, but I don't know. We're, we're worried about fight night. And then after we'll worry about, you know, whatever my birthday, Valentine's, all that. Awesome, man. Awesome, man. I appreciate time. Look forward to seeing the fight here. UFC 271. Of course, uh, let everyone know they can fight on social media and anything else you want to mention, man. Um, just thank you for everybody who stuck support, uh, stuck and supported me. I know this is a different fight cause it's not just the regular cheap general admission tickets. So if you bought tickets, I truly appreciate it. Um, won't fail, put on a great show and, um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, monoboy seven. And as always great talking to you, Jason, I appreciate the time. And that was my conversation with Leo Mano Martinez. Appreciate him coming on the podcast to talk about his fight club here next week at UFC 271. Also interested to hear him talk about uh, doing some work there with James Krause and how that relationship came together there. Of course, his coach, Saul Solis, passed away last year, and it does sound like a lot of guys from that gym are uh, doing a little cross-training there at Glory MMA and Fitness. But, uh, you know, Daniel, last week it was Bellator 273. Uh, you know, a close fight. In the main event, um, I actually I actually liked the scorecards of, of giving Ryan Bader the fifth round in that one just because of, you know, I just thought, I mean, Madovsky had the better position, but Bader was laying the punches there. And, uh, yeah, man, boy, Belter wasted no time to say, hey, Bader Congo, make, make six. God, I'm not excited for that fight. I know they're promoting it, but, damn, that, that Bader-Modovsky fight sucked. And, like, Bader-Congo, that one's going to suck, too. Like, these fights are boring, Jason. Too much clinching, too much grappling, but not a lot happened. Well, this, uh, the first round, he almost knocks Moldowski out. That's true. That's true. Great. I, mean, I can't blame Valentin. And, and that was the big difference in this fight was the stand-up of these two. You know what's crazy is uh, I had Moldowski winning that fifth round. Didn't feel good about it. And I understand why the three judges scored it for Ryan Bader. I know Big John did a good job of explaining, you know, Bader landed the better shots. But, uh, yeah, and, and the other thing was I even scored the other fight for Mamadoff in the co-main event. So I was just wrong on both scorecards, and I think a big reason why was I probably just overestimated the positional advantages of Mamadoff and Modofsky and, and not take into account for Benson maybe the uh, successful grappling and for Ryan Bader the successful stand-up. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing, and now you see Mamadov in, in two fights in, in Bellator where he's just essentially allowed his opponent to get all these submissions. It worked out for him in the fight against Brent Premis. I'm sure Brent Premis wished he would have had the judges that worked Benson's fight, worked his fight. Uh, but, I mean, look, the, the story with Benson Henderson was after his fight was over, the fact of, you know, what does his future hold? Uh, I know he said uh, today on Aaron Hawani's show that he wants to come back with Bellator, but... I will tell you what, you want to talk about fighters who fight out their contract, and I don't know if there's been a fighter more honest than what Benson Henderson said after Bellator 273. Quote, I don't know how much longer I'll be doing this for Bellator, so I want to soak it all in. I'm not sure if this is going to be my last fire or not, so I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy the W, enjoy getting my hand raised. I might keep going, I might not, so we'll find out. This was the last fight on my deal with Bellator. They pay me a lot of money, and I might have underfought my contract. Going into the renegotiations, I'm not sure how they're going to treat me. We'll see. We'll find out. But I do know if this was the last one, it was a great way to go out. I would like to continue fighting, but all things have to line up. Daniel, for that quote where he says, I might have underfought my contract, I don't think I've ever heard a fighter say those words 
No, I've never heard a fighter say those words either. That's astonishing. And it's probably true. I mean, a lot of his fights, he hasn't won a lot of his fights. This was a very important fight. This was a must-win situation for him. Also, a lot of his fights haven't been very entertaining. I think it's safe to say he's probably underperformed. But you feel this is a guy that – how can you not appreciate this guy? Well, when you see how the way his candor, also the raw emotion in the post-fight interview, you could tell he was so happy with his kids in the, in the cage as well. It was a very nice moment, a very nice guy. And it, even though I scored the fight for Mamadov, I, I, it felt good watching him get his hand raised. And, and I hope if he wants to continue, he has a place to fight in Bellator. But if he definitely did not give himself much leverage in any type of contract negotiation. Yeah, I mean, it, when all this came out, my, my first initial thought was, I didn't think about it of, okay, will he return or what? My thought was like, if I am in Scott Coker's position, what do I do? Obviously, there's going to be a number figure that Scott's going to have. And by the way, this is what Scott said after the fight was over. He goes, I think he was thinking about retirement, and it's really going to be up to him. He's already done it all. He's been fighting for a long time. He's been a great ambassador for the sport. And if he decides to hang it up, I think he's done everything there is to do and will wish him well. But if he wants to fight, we'll have a conversation. Interested. That quote tells me that there's probably been some dollar enough figures thrown to Scott Coker from Jason House, Benson Henderson's manager, and that I, I maybe I'm wrong with this one. That quote from Scott Coker doesn't make me think that he's all in on getting back into the Benson Henderson business. Yeah, but also it is kind of optimistic. But you're right, not all in. Probably one foot in. Um, I think you know Benson probably. I feel like if Benson fights anywhere, it's probably Bellator, but who knows? I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see him in one FC. I wouldn't be, you know, the one matchup that obviously everyone's got to think of is a, uh, another fight with Anthony Pettis somewhere. I mean, I think that's something a promotion could put on. Yeah, well, look, if I was Benson Henderson, I'm instructing Jason House. Like if he's, if he goes, Hey, you can't get a deal done with Bellator. PFL should be your next call. Yeah. You want a million dollars. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a good call. It's a good call. I mean, I mean, look, Jeremy Stevens, I, I think it's a great move for him. You know, it, it is crazy when you think about the uh, the win-loss record of Jeremy Stevens over the last decade. Like, man, it, it's not good. What is it? I sent you the number. What was it? Eight, eight and 14 and one no contest. Um, let me pull up. Eight and 13 and one no contest since late 2011. Damn. And he's been in a, he's been in a lot of wars too. You might I mean, say you might say a different word in the text. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. What did I put? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been in a lot of wars too. That is concerning. Like he, he's kind of close to that Melvin Gallard level of concern, but maybe not there yet. He's he's a, he's an exciting fighter. Nice little addition. Um, there's been fighters with much better UFC resumes that have gone to these PFL tournaments and not succeeded. The thing is, this PFL – okay, so I was thinking about this when we were talking about Jeremy Stevens signing with the PFL is going to the PFL is the – like is super difficult for a UFC fighter to go and not look bad. You want to know why? Because at the end of the year, there's only one winner. 
This is something that eliminates everybody. Yeah. That's why Anthony for Verdum, all these guys look bad. Because if you're a former UFC fighter and you go to the PFL and you don't win the tournament, you don't go to the finals, you look bad. At the end of the day, you have eight fighters. Seven of them are going to look bad, look like they were disappointing. So it's a recipe for these fighters with big-time resumes looking disappointing because at the end of the year, much like the NFL or the NBA or MLB, you only have one winner and seven losers. By the way, uh, Silas from Bare Knuckle and Melvin Gillard. Shocking. Shocking. I, I, made, I made a call over the weekend, and uh, yeah, silence is deafening Dude, over there. Question. Just, did you see any of these belts or prelim fights? I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I watched the main Damn. card. Damn, uh, I feel but, bad that Ben Parrish lost, man. No, I'm not shocked by that one. I know. Sullivan Call is he, he he's legit. There's a reason Bellator now has him to to a multi fight deal. Um, you know, I mean Darren Caldwell losing, man. You got to really wonder if Bellator sticks in that business. Uh, Sabah Humasi, I thought he looked tremendous against Jaleel Willis. Uh, unfortunate ending to the Henry Krause fight. Um, you know, especially that there was a last fight on Henry Krause's deal. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what what Bellator does with him. Um, you know, you know, you look at Bader. Bendo, Corrales have really been that staple for those Phoenix cards. Yeah, they have been. Uh, this card was definitely worse than the last time they were in Phoenix. But uh, you, you win some, you lose some. I mean, the Sabah fight was really entertaining. And the prelims appear to be entertaining. Like, a lot of finishes on the prelims. Uh, just one decision, Dalton Ross's decision over the rock. And so, yeah, yeah, Chris Gonzalez, I had a wad. Head kick knockout. Surprised I haven't seen that one. I probably should have looked that one up beforehand. The final lasted 36 seconds. But, uh, yeah, you know, Phoenix is always a good crowd, good environment. Just the fights themselves, going to be honest with you, didn't love the main card. Yeah. Well, have you seen the UFC card this week? Dude, this is an awful UFC card. <laughs> we'll, this go, is... we'll get into that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Just say, when Puna Soriano and Nick Maximov is your co-main event, they might tell you a little something about the depth of that card. But uh, let's get on to the next interview, as you'll hear from a former UFC fighter who has not fought since 2020. That is Boston Salmon had a great conversation with him. So here's my my conversation I had with the fighter who trains out of Extreme Couture. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who's stepping back inside competition. We have not seen this man for a while. Boston Salmon, Boston. Appreciate time. Return here. Fury FC 57. First time we've seen it since 2020. So, like, uh, as you think about the last year and a half for you, like, is there a way you would describe it? Uh, I mean, just just kind of a roller coaster, you know, uh, in the process of uh, healing from that last fight, um, getting that whole surgery, you know, COVID hit, and just focusing on uh, what's next, what's the next chapter for myself. Do you... Are you view this fight as like this is like chapter two of your career? Or are we way past chapter two? Uh, I'd, I'd say, yeah, probably chapter two. You know, I mean, I think speaking in my terms, this, this could be my last fight as well. You know, if, if I can't win in this division or um, at this next uh, organization, then I should probably look for another chapter in my life. You know, and I've accepted that as a fighter and I'm okay with that. So I'm excited. Is, is that a when you were coming with that mindset, was that kind of a tough thing to kind of think of like, this could be my last one if I, if I can't get the W? Uh, I mean, definitely a thought of me thinking, you know, over the past years and since my last fight, and I know I still have it in me. I have all the tools. I have, you know, I have every, have all the tools to be successful and um, be a champion in what I do in the sport, you know, and um, I know I still have the ability to, 
to do that and prove that, but just, you know, it starts from Fury 57 and um, I'm excited and anxious to see the improvement that I had over the years. Is it, you, you, we always talk about like fight mentality is really the mentality of like, this is, this is chapter two of my career. Is that kind of the mentality you have heading into it? Uh, I'm kind of past that stage, you know, it's, I don't really look at like what ifs and if I should be doing this and you know, what's next. I've kind of accepted, um, that next chapter for myself, you know, like I don't have to worry about that hype that I had, you know, being one of the biggest prospects coming up, you know, coming from contenders and being in the UFC and that's all past me, man. You know, for, for the longest time I was focused on pleasing other, other people, you know, um, getting all those highlights, all those finishes, you know, it's a lot for a fighter and it can be a lot. And I'm past that now, you know, I, I just, I need to please myself now. I don't have to please, you know, the people around me or, you know, the people watching. So I'm okay with that. It, it, hearing you say that, it just kind of like the way I view that is like you just saying like you're complete. The way you think about this game has changed. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like if you look at my career, man, I, I have a really good career. You know, I have, I have good wins, you know, the, the losses are minimal and, uh, I still have that potential and the ability to come back and be a world champion, whether it's the UFC, Bellator, Risen, PFL. I, I have that ability to do that, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm still here doing that sport. I mean, obviously, it's been a while since we've seen you. I mean, is there going to be we we tune in the UFC Fight Pass? We're gonna are we gonna see you know you know some some new tools in the toolbox that uh, maybe you haven't been able to show previously. I mean, you know what to expect when you watch, you know, Boston fight. I'm in there and I go in there and I knock people out, you know. People know me by my striking and that's what I do, you know. I don't go in there. To, if the submission is there, if the ground and pound is there, like, yeah, I want to pose that. But I'm, I'm there to put hands and put put put, put my shin on your head, you know. You got Jake Efren here. Uh, I'm guessing your mentality is you're expecting to see a lot of takedowns. Absolutely. I mean, every fight that I, I feel like I, that's probably your best bet of trying to beat me is, you know, you take me on the ground and you try to submit me or ground upon me or wrestle me, you know, and uh, that's probably his best asset of, of, in this fight is to, you know, take it to that, to that level. Do you think people underestimate what you can do on the ground? Uh, we just, if you look at all my fights, I just never really got in there, you know, uh, my, my takedown defense, my, my resting defense, it's, it's, it's there, you know, um, that hasn't been a flaw for me. So people haven't seen that side yet. Is there ever a part of you that says like, no, nah, man, I just want to shut people up. I'm just going to do a takedown. Just kind of get people thinking this could come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I don't, I don't think that's an issue that's been addressed with, uh, my losses, you know? So, I mean, whatever, wherever the fight goes, I'm ready. I'm prepared. And if I, if I need to take Jake down and, and beat him up on the ground, like I have the ability to do that. You know, I come from Shrink and we, we do it all. You saw Francis's last fight, you know, he couldn't knock out gain and he needed to wrestle. And that's what he did to win that championship. When you were, when you were watching that fight, were you even a little surprised to see Francis go on the takedown route? Uh, just kind of gave me, um, it shows the success of our gym and, and, and the leaders at our gym, you know, uh, shows the IQ of Francis Nagano. You know, if he, if he, he was fighting on a, a torn knee, you know, I mean, I know that from first time, that's the toughest thing, toughest thing that you can do in a fight is fight on the torn knee, you know, and you could, you could kind of see in his fight, he wasn't, uh, he didn't have the ability to sit down on his punches, you know, uh, he didn't have that part that he had in his last fights. And I think that was from, uh, 
from tearing his knee, you know, and he has a really good IQ of adapting and you need that as a fighter. And that was, you know, just credit to him and his coaches and, um, you know, all the people that helped him out at Extreme Couture. As you think about your keys to victory in, in walking away with the W here next week, what, what is there something that, that sticks out above all else? Uh, just, just the fighter that I'm at, that, that I am, you know, the career that I had, um, and what I possess in that cage, I, you know, I, I have the ability to finish fights wherever it goes. And, um, obviously we haven't seen that happen, you know, since before the contender series and I'm still that guy. I'm still that guy. I don't think anything has changed in my, in my game, you know, it's just sometimes in fighting you, uh, how do you say that? You're going to hit some, some bumps in the road, you know, and I, I definitely hit those bumps, you know, whether um, I made some mistakes of, you know, fighting at 135, you know, I don't I don't blame any of that on my coaches or, you know, if I should have been fighting at 145, I don't blame that. I just, I need to look forward and address fight by fight. Is it one of those things of being at 45 now that, you know, where at 35 maybe so much of the camp was about weight management where now camp is truly about your fighting abilities? 100%. I mean, a lot of – I don't think in any of my interviews I really covered any of that, you know. Um, when I started the sport of boxing, I, or when I ended the sport of boxing, I was competing at 152, you know, where I fought Earl Spence and other, other big boxers at the time. When I was in high school, I wrestled at 145. When Originally, I, I should have wrestled at 140. Um, like I said, amateur boxing, I was competing at 152. And then when I stepped into the – um, MMA game, I, I made my debut at 145, you know, and I, at the time I was like, damn, I don't even know if I can make that weight, made the weight easy, um, was successful at doing it, you know, and then my third amateur fight, I fought at 150, won the tough enough title at 150, and uh, my pro debut was against Lotto Machido's black belt at 145, uh, and I beat him, and then I don't know what happened. I think it was a transition of me moving from Hossa Guru. That was a gym back in Las Vegas from way back. You know, it was Tap Out, Hossa Guru. And then that gym shut down. And that's when I made the transition to Extreme Couture of the likes of Robert Follis, you know, Dennis Davis, or Nixit. And uh, I think it was just a competition at the time. You know, you had guys like Gray Maynard at 155. Uh, you had Brian Carey, who was top 10 at 135. I just felt like I had to compete with them, you know, because like, and size, that was probably my size, you know. And I made the transition of 35. None of my weight cuts were a walk in the park. I'm not a small guy, you know. If you see me in person, I'm, I'm not a small guy. You know, I walk around at 160 to 170. You know, I get up to 180 if, if I'm reckless and my eating habits are bad, you know. But that's just been the truth of it, you know. And uh, I think for most of the time, I was able to compete and be successful at 135. And then obviously my, you know, I started getting older. I was feeling out. And uh, like I said, no way goes easy. There are times where I fought for RFA and I'm cutting away and I pass out, you know, like I'm, I'm putting on my sauna suit with Robert Follis and I pass out. He wakes me up. Like, hey, UK, you know, like little shit like that. Uh, fighting in the UFC, same thing. You know, I get up and uh, I, I'm, I, I catch myself, almost pass out. You know, those are all signs of, of, a, of a bad weight cut, you know. And I don't even think it was a bad weight cut. You know, when I was with the UFC, I had all the, the nutrition, you had their whole team following me with that, you know, but I just felt like at the time my body couldn't uh, endure the weight cut and I wasn't able to perform, you know. I think nine out of ten times I was, I should have beat Khalid Taha, I should have beat Randy Costa, but I just, 
that night I just, I wasn't able to perform, you know, I couldn't see, I didn't have the vision. I, I didn't have the chin, you know, I wasn't able to take shots. I, I didn't have the speed. I didn't have the power, you know, and, uh, after my fight with Ryan Costa was when I got back to the UFCPI and I did all the studies of, uh, they have all these studies that calculate your body mass yeah. and your bones and all that stuff. And I had studies when I first got into the UFC from when I won the contender series and I won that contract and we put together those two numbers, you know, and, uh, they're just, it was just a big change, you know, and it showed all those numbers showed that I should never been fighting at 135. I was basically, you know, killing myself to make that weight. I saw a trial and error, you know, that's in the, in the past. And I know 145 is my division and, uh, you see, you guys will see for sure. You know, hearing you say that, it made me think of a, a conversation I had with another UFC fighter where they said that they did all the testing at the PI, and they were like, no, you don't need you working out three times a day. You're actually hurting your body by doing that. Two times a day is what's good for you. Was was there something else that when they did all these scientific tests on your body that it was like kind of a surprise to you? No, not, 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 a, not in a sense. Um, I basically, when I was finding a 135, I would go vegan, you know. Uh, that was only really the actual way for me to make the weight, you know. Um, all my weight cuts before the fight, I'm struggling to make the weight, you know. I feel like my organs are giving out. My back was just super sore. And those are all signs of, you know, your your, your organs failing on you, you know. And whether my brain was dehydrated, I'm, obviously my whole body is dehydrated, you know. And they gave me 24 hours to, to hydrate, but who knows how long does that take for your brain to hydrate and just, just be able to perform at a hundred percent. And I feel like I never had that shot to perform at a hundred percent at one thirty-five. You mentioned about, you know, there might be times you get a little reckless with the food. So when this fight's over, are we, are we getting a little reckless with some, uh, some quality Vegas food? I mean, we'll, we'll be in Texas, right? And they're known for barbecue. So now I have the opportunity to enjoy uh, some of the best barbecue. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. But of course, everyone's going to see your fight here. Fury FC 57, February the 11th, of course, live on UFC Fight Pass. Boss, as always, appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know anything fight on social media and anything else you want to mention, man. Uh, no, just um, be aware of Fury 57. Um, there's a lot of good fights on there. You got Matias Camilo coming up from my gym as well. That that dude's a, he, he's the real prospect at 145 or 155 from, from Brazil. He's training with us at uh, Extreme Couture. Um, you got Brady and Akil. He's another good kid from Hawaii. He's a good wrestler, um, family friend. He's, uh, I think I believe he's fighting uh, Sam Kilmer. Um, Braden's training out of uh, somewhere in Arizona. I believe the lab. I want to say with uh, Benson Henderson. Um, and besides the other the other fights on that card, I, I I couldn't really tell you know. But uh, I'm excited for Free Fifty Seven, as you guys should be too. Um, It'd be a great fight against Jake Heffernan, and I expect nothing but fireworks. And you know, you get you guys are gonna bring back my name in, in the in the media. You know, the media hasn't spoken to me in a while, and I understand I haven't been active in the fight game. But after this win, you guys will start hearing about me more. And that was my conversation with Boston Salmon. I appreciate him coming on the podcast. Very interesting stuff talking about to how much the weight cut had really taken out of him going down to 35 and how he feels that really played into it. And also saying the fact of if he doesn't get a win last week, it is likely retirement for him. Wow. That is a, uh, that's a lot on the line there. I, you know, but I, it, it's good to hear from him because he's not someone I had thought of in a while. 
Yeah, but yeah, and he, he mentioned that the interview is like, you know, hey, he goes, I understand that I haven't had fights, no one's, you know, had me in interviews. Um, but you know, I thought it was really interesting that he just talked about. It. He's like, look, he's a, I he goes, if I can't win this fight, it's time for me to find something else to do. Which is, I mean, how old is he? he can't be that old. Like he's got to be early thirties. Yeah, yeah, you know? he's early thirties. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, he hasn't been competing for a while, so that's like, you know, he, he's got. He's got a whole lot, like second half of his career in front of him, man. Yeah, no. It, and, it's, and, and you talk about it, he's an exciting striker, but um, you know, he had that brutal, um, you know, disqualification uh, where he got uh, illegally need uh, in the fight, and, and now he's in this Fury fight. So we'll see how well he does there. Uh, you'll hear from Cody Steele here in a little bit. He'll be making his pro debut on that card here in a little bit. But uh, you know, Daniel, uh, UFC this week, UFC Vegas forty seven. We we talked about Sean Strickland. Um, I mean, look, this is you know. It's not, you know, the deepest of cards. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to be nice about this. I'm trying to be nice about it. You know, solid main event, extremely solid main event of Jack Romanson versus Sean Soriano. Um, you know, Sean Strickland, a pretty sizable betting favor in this one, a minus two thirty betting favor, plus one ninety coming back there on Jack Romanson. I just kind of feel like if Jack Romanson's going to win this fight, it's got to be via the takedown. Yeah, this is a pretty simple fight to to look at here. You just got to look at uh you know, how Jack performs against strikers. And it's pretty simple. Um, can he take him down? If he can't, he's going to lose a decision. He might get finished. But can he, if he can out-wrestle the dude, he's going to win this fight. And it's as simple as that. Jack Manson, the better grappler. Sean Strickland, the better striker. What I like about Sean Strickland in this fight is the volume and the aggression. Uh, and I also think he's a damn good defensive wrestler as well. So... The thing is, I, I, I always get worried with these guys whenever they're like Sean Strickland, where they just get all this hype. I'm sorry. I don't mean he, he deserves the hype. He's won five in a row. But it just seems like we're building a narrative around Sean Strickland and just no one cares about Jack Hermanson. And like Jack Hermanson has like secretly been like a top middleweight for a very, very long time. And so whenever I see a guy who outside of the cage is getting notoriety going up against a guy who just is, you know, Jack Hermanson could sit at a bar – and no one would recognize him. I yeah. think zero out of ten people, zero out of ten people would recognize him. You know, like even if even at Thanksgiving, some of his family members are probably wondering who's who who came to eat food. But yeah, I I, I think I, I I'm going to write a Hermanson based on that sole principle. I think he's going to fight the guy, fight, get the guy fight to the ground. But honestly, uh, the UFC's got to be hoping Sean Strickland wins this fight because like. People are paying attention to who Sean Strickland is. And if you're the UFC, you are just hungry for fighters that people care about. Uh, you're also probably scared what might come out of his mouth, too. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you would think it can't get worse than the MA Hour interview he did. I mean, just some just insanity uh, coming out of his mouth. But he's an interesting guy. Again, he, he he's he's garnered an audience. I hope he stays on the right side of things. And because there is something about the way he talks that is kind of scary. It really is. But you hope that he's in on the joke and he understands and he lives a nice life because he can make a great living being a star in this sport. And it's absolutely possible. But it starts with getting a win over Jack Manson. And that pathway is incredibly easy to see happening. And, and again, goes with his stand up fighting a similar fight. The the fights that got him wins against Hall and Jotko and Marshman. So I, you know, Strickland's. If he's locked in, I think 
God, Strickland, I can't believe I'm picking your man in this fight, but I just am. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Strickland to me has to be the favorite. You know, like uh, the, the couple main events, an uh, interesting style clash. I mean, if you're putting Soriano, you just got to keep the fight on the feet. You, you can't make this, uh, uh, you can't allow this to become a jitsu matchup against Nick Maximoff. I feel bad for Sam Alvey. Like, you know, he loses his his opponent this week, and then they go, oh, we're not going to put you against Brandon Allen. Like, they're not giving Sam Alvey any, any you know, easy matchups here. Um, you know, you got the, the matchup uh, of two guys who were initially supposed to meet in the finale the last season, the ultimate fighter, Trace on Gore. And, and Brian Battle, uh, Julian Arosa, who was on the, sh- uh, the show uh, two weeks ago, he's going to be taking on Steven Patterson here. Uh, Chi Inch Kwani is always a guy that I've always enjoyed watching. Uh, Jason Witt, Phil Roa is, you know, I interviewed Jason Witt a couple weeks ago. That one is, uh, you know, has my interest. I, I thought the most interesting thing that Jason Witt said was that he really hasn't paid attention to Phil Rowe's grappling competitions because Phil Rowe has been doing a ton of grappling matchups. So I was just kind of surprised in that one. But, uh, I mean, overall, I mean, this is, you know, this is a hardcore fans card. You know, yeah. that, that, that casual MMA fan, they, they, they're not rolling up uh, the ESPN Plus on Saturday. No, uh, this is just not a good card. Um, these are some talented fighters. I'm excited to watch the whole card. But there's only one fight on here that has me excited. It's the main event. You know, it's it's the rest of these cards – have interesting fighters, but I'm being fake if I'm coming on this podcast and I tell you this is a good card. I'm being fake if I tell you this is an average card. This might be the worst card of the whole year. I hope it is. But that's do do not tempt the matchmakers. I know, I know. When you have these fight nights in front of people in front of no people, I, basically, I you, would, you I would have thought this would be the kind of card as a fight night card that you would try to load up a little bit. You know, it's you, it's Pro Bowl week. Pro Bowl's on Sunday. Uh, NHL uh, All Star Games this weekend. So I'm, I'm sitting here going, like, I would have thought that maybe this was a card that they try to load up to get people, especially with a pay per view next week. Yeah, I feel like they loaded up the one afterwards much better. Uh, the uh, the RDA uh, Fizia one. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I this card just isn't doing it for me. Um, like I'm interested in the Kobe event. Like I will watch it. Like uh, I think Maximoff's probably going to win that fight, and I think he's an underdog. So he if I was if I was in a state that allowed you to put money on fights, I would put money on Nick Maximoff just because I think he's going to out wrestle Puna Suriano. And obviously Puna could just go out there and knock a dude out. But Maximoff might be a guy with like a lot of potential. Like this is going to let us know if we need to like pay attention to this dude and, and, and see what he can do in the middleweight division. Uh, but yeah, it comes down to the wrestling. Um, I, I completely did not realize that Treshawn Gore and Brian battle were on the season, the ultimate fighter. That's amazing. Yeah. Battle um, battle won the season, but they were supposed to be in the final, but Gore had to pull out the oh, injury. I see. Wow. Captivating stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> that this, this ultimate fighter just needs to come on. It's like old yeller. It's like, it's like old yeller's great grandfather. That's how old it yeah, is. It'll never uh, go away. Yeah. Alexis Davis. Go away. Alex Davis needs to win this fight against Julia Stolyarenko. She's lost a lot of fights lately, and she's been around a while too. Um, yeah, Chidi and Jukwani and, and Hakeem Duwadu, both guys I'm excited to watch, to watch fight. Those are very fun, uh, like stand-up fighters. Yeah, no, no question about it, but that'll be on Saturday, UFC Vegas, number 47. Next interview you're going to hear is with Cody Steele. He's a BJJ, known for his BJJ. He has uh, been taking some amateur fights, now making his professional debut. So I had a chance to catch up with him and talk about his matchup coming up here at Fury FC. 
Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that we're going to see make his professional mixed martial arts debut. I'm sure if you've if you've been following the grappling world, you know who this man is, Cody. Man, I appreciate the time. Uh, obviously, uh, you know people know for you for grappling, but first off, where does this journey start for you? What what was the age when you realized that you loved jujitsu? Um, man, I, it's weird. It's hard to kind of say, but I mean, I remember I was in high school and cause I wrestled a little bit in middle school, a little bit in high school. And I remember being like in the wrestling room. I was like, man, like getting closer to graduation. I was like, I really don't know what I want to do with my life, but I want to do something like this where it's like, you know, I have like that team kind of, uh, bonding thing. And then where it's like, I can like train all the time. So like, I felt like it's like the best type of workout. And then when I lived in Washington, I moved to Texas and my school didn't really have like, didn't have wrestling. So I was just like, all right, what's the next best thing? I was like, it's probably like MMA or jujitsu. So like right after like, I kind of like graduated, I started doing jujitsu. <laughs> so it leads me to think, is there a preference on gear no gi for you? Um, I definitely like the, um, the no gi a lot more. But I teach in the gi, and I, I love I love the gi. I, I just I competed in gi from like white to brown like all the time. But I like to honestly train more in the gi more than just compete in the gi. Competing in the gi is like a whole other animal. So what becomes the point where you say, you know what, I'm gonna go into MMA? Um, it's kind of always been in my head, like ever since, like I was like a lot, like, you know, since even I was like younger, I was like, I want to do MMA, I want to do MMA. And, uh, uh, my professor, he was telling me, he was like, man, it's like, it's like, if you want to do, uh, if you want to do MMA, he's like, we need to wait till you're at least like a purple belt. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And then, um, got the purple belt. And then I just felt like I started to really like grow in jujitsu and kind of start making a little bit more of a name for myself and saw potential to grow more. So I wanted to like keep on that path. But then once I became black belt, I was like, all right, let's, let's just do this. You know, finally, <laughs> you know, it, it makes me think about, do you get more nervous for an MMA match as opposed to just match? Um, I don't know, you know, like I feel like it's more like an adrenaline rush for mm -hmm. sure because, you know, you're about to go into like a little bit more combat and it's just you're in a cage and, you know, your friends and your family are watching you do that. I mean, they're doing the jujitsu too, but it's just, it's just a little, it's a little different, but I haven't even gotten like nerves or anything yet. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know, I'm thinking maybe just like once the stakes get a little higher, you know, like I feel like I should be able to like beat the guys who I'm fighting right now. Yeah. You speak about that adrenaline makes me think of, cause I, I was over in your IG and your most recent IG post is, it's a walk off knockout, which made me kind of think like, is the adrenaline rush from that much? Is it greater than the adrenaline rush of just pulling off a slick submission in, in, in jujitsu competition? Yeah. It, it's just different. I mean, like if I fight, like say like, I fight someone who's maybe not the best and, or like not even known in MMA, but if you just sleep them or you just finish them, it's super exciting. But like, you know, I've sub people and stuff all the time in jiu-jitsu at tournaments or whatever. And I'm like, man, it's whatever, you know, like it's just a, it's a thing. Even if I'm fighting like a higher, like world-class guy in jiu-jitsu, it's like, even if I like get the, get the win or something, I'm just like, oh yeah, cool. It's not as exciting. Do you remember, was there a kind of a moment, whether it was in an amateur fight or, or maybe in a training session where you realized like, okay, I've got this power. 
Um, yeah. I don't know, because I've always felt like like I would hit mitts with people, and they'd be like, "Oh wow, you you hit pretty hard." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I guess." And then like I would, but I would see other people hit mitts. I'm like, "Oh, that guy's cracking over there," you know. But um, I don't know. I just I just try to be. I just I don't think so much about being powerful. I think about being fast and quick and explosive. You know, so I, I don't know. I, I think it just comes with it. Maybe who knows? <laughs> when you think of you know being fast and explosive, do you think that there was a maybe a sport growing up that you played that that's where it kind of started? Yeah, I would probably say like football. Um, football is very like it's like an explosive sport, like a fast twitch, uh, twitchy type of sport. So thinking maybe I picked it up from there. I'm, I remember I remember my wrestling coach. I was in high school or like middle school or something like that. one of them. And he was like saying like, man, he's like, you need to quit tying up with people because people would just tie up with me and slow me down. And then they kind of start moving on me. Like you need to stay on the outside and use your feints and then shoot in and be explosive. And like, uh, that's kind of like where it's kind of started where I had to try to adapt, you know? It, it kind of made me think about, you know, cause you hear, you know, fighters who, who are known for, for one aspect of the game and they'll say, you know, I can really use it as a feint to get people thinking about it. Do you feel like in an MMA match of, you know, your opponent is so concerned about what you can do with grappling that ultimately it just opens up everything else in your game? Yeah, I think that people are aware of it. So like in their you know, especially the recent guys, you know, I thought they're like, oh man, this guy's going to take you down <clears throat> and he's going to finish you. I mean, most of the jujitsu guys that come from um, the community and they go to MMA, they're jujitsu, especially the guys who are really good at jujitsu. Like they go in there, they get like a first round submission and that's cool and all, but I don't know. Like they just like, you got to use what got you there. I feel like, but I don't know. I think that I have, I'm a little different than the some of the jujitsu guys, so I feel like I can like mix it up a little bit more. Like I see sometimes some of the jujitsu guys that come into the sport and their striking is not good looking. It's not powerful looking. It's just it's, they're really good at setting things up to get takedowns and then get it to the ground. But um, yeah, if you can if you can throw some danger on the feet, I feel like it even makes the takedowns come easier. As you look as as your growth as a martial artist, and, and particularly over say the last six twelve months, is is there something that really sticks out to you about how you've grown as a martial artist? Yeah, yeah, like I think the um, I think definitely adding the, the MMA training and the striking and um, all like the wall wrestling and all that, like I feel like it's made my jujitsu better, you know, stronger. I feel like like my style in jujitsu is like heavy pace pressure um and try tiring people out and just with all the extra training i've been able to do with uh mma and all that just made me more aggressive made me more like intense for jujitsu and just like I, I see my game changing uh now you know so what would you describe the mentality heading into this pro debut at fury <clears throat> um my mentality is very, uh, it's not, it's not cocky, but it's confident. You know, I, I, uh, I'm ready for honestly, wherever the fight is, if it's on the feet, I'm ready to throw the hands and go, or if it goes on the uh, ground, I know I can, I can win there as well. I, uh, I think, uh, I just, I work really hard and, uh, that's where I kind of get my confidence. So 
Is this one of those things that as you look at your opponent, your opponent, you know, he, he's a veteran of this game. He's been around, um, you know, he's, you know, 15 plus fights that he's had professional ranks. I mean, is your mindset of like, you know what? I think he's going to try to keep this on the feet, but uh, you know, you gotta be ready for all things. Yeah. I'm not sure, you know, where he's going to go. I've kind of watched a couple of his videos. He's got, he throws some hands. He's very comfortable at like, putting uh, pressure down and using his hands. And he's also comfortable going to the ground and doing takedown. So um, I'm, I don't, I'm not specifically thinking I need to do one thing. I'm just going to go in there and t- uh, just go wherever the fight goes. You know, if it, like I said, if we're on our feet, we're going to go on our feet and then I'm going to change it up and go to the ground. And then if we're on the ground, then it makes it all up. You know, I don't have like a specific game I'm trying to go for, but I'm definitely trying to like make a statement. With your credentials, it, it does. Would it surprise you if if he tried to get like? Do you sit there and if someone tried to take you down, play the grappling you know game, would you take that like, man, this dude thinks he's better than me on the ground? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I think if he does try to grapple me and go to the ground, um, maybe he's just going to try to make some type of statement. I don't know, but. I know, like, yeah, if we if we go to the ground, uh, I'll be a lot more comfortable down there, and I'll be able to kind of control the pace and, like, control the breathing down there. So, you know, I'd be, I would be surprised, but I also think, like, I might come in on him and I might pressure him enough that he, he might just do it just because it's, I'm in his face. Well, and with uh, two things so people get to know you a little bit better of outside of combat sports, favorite app on your phone that's not social media related? on my phone hmm, man social media is youtube count yeah no I, I wouldn't consider youtube social media i understand that one yeah, yeah I'm, i'll be on youtube a good amount i uh i study a lot through there youtube's freaking such a great tool nowadays so like <laughs> if i open that app on youtube it's just like, like oh wow, that's a cool video and i just i get lost it's like a wormhole I get lost in tons of things whether it's food <laughs> like comedy or like uh, fighting stuff. No question. Uh, you, you walked to the gym today. They let you control the music. What's going on the speakers? Um, man, I'm all over the board. Sometimes, sometimes I'll play house, like some like house type music. Um, if I'm trying to get like some really hard training in, I'll play like some, like, uh, some rap and some, uh, whatever. It's kind of like hard, like harder rap stuff or, um, it just, yeah, I go up and down. Sometimes I like, get in different phases and stuff. Like, some, like I recently was, like, just banging out uh, Kendrick Lamar. And then I was listening to some Kid Cudi. So it, it goes up and down here and there. Awesome, awesome stuff, man, Cody. I appreciate you coming on the show. Of course, uh, let me know anything. Follow you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Um, yeah, thank you to my sponsors. You know, uh, this is uh, Level Black. They, uh helped me through a lot through my jujitsu journey. So I'm ready to take it to the MMA journey. And that was my conversation with Cody Steele. Appreciate him coming on the podcast. Talk about his matchup come up here at Fury FC. Of course, you can watch that event live on UFC Fight Pass. Uh, you know, Daniel, uh, one of the other news items this week, Paul Daly coming out saying May 13th retirement fight. Wow. Do, do they do have you- the matchup? No, no matchup announced yet. Um, first off, do you buy it? He's thirty nine years old, been through a lot of wars. Are you are you buying the retirement talk? No. I, here's what I say: I will buy the retirement talk if we're talking mixed martial arts. I could see Paul Daly taking a boxing matchup at some point. 
I'm surprised he hasn't transitioned to not fighting MMA. Like this dude hates getting taken down, and that's been the story of his career. I, I think you're right. At the end of the day, uh, any uh, you know, any uh, any MMA retirement, I don't believe. Like we literally just saw a 42 year old Rashad Evans come back, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't see that one coming. Um, yeah, Paul, man, Paul Daly though. I tell you what. Uh, I have vague memories of like there are things that are in my head that I can't really remember right now. I what was the big controversy? What was it? Did he hit someone after the? What he hit Koscheck after the fight was over, that's and that's when he happened. got kicked out of the UFC. That was, that was crazy. That was crazy. That was insane. And that's because I think he was like probably like one of the top welterweights in the world. Like he probably would have eventually fought for a championship. I think because um, before that. Oh, okay. he did. He do strike force after that. Yeah, yeah, he did. Oh, okay. uh, that was a, him. If people have never seen Paul Daly versus Nick Diaz, you got you got to find that fight. Yeah, that was a phenomenal fight. He's and at the end of the day, his his nickname Semtex for a reason. He's had some of the most brutal knockouts. His knockout over uh, Dustin Hazlett was just like he he murdered that dude. I mean, it was truly amazing. Uh, the the knockout over Scott Smith in Strikeforce, also uh, truly amazing. Semtex, just one of the most exciting strikers in the world uh, whenever he was in his prime. Yeah, it, the the two memories I really have uh, of Paul Daly, and one's fight-related, one's, one's interview-related. Every time I've ever done an interview with him, he's always in it with, good one, mate. <laughs> he's always in with that. I, 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 I've, I, I don't know if he does for every interview, but every time interview is like, "Good one, mate." And uh, the other thing I'll think of is uh, being in the building with Mohegan Sun when he decided he was going to go to take down route against Michael Page. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. Damn, that was not something I was expecting. But you know, hey, uh, <laughs> I do. I would tell you, I remember because <laughs> I, I, I think that was a, it was that was a a back to back night once. Yeah, because the first night was when they had uh, the nut shot in the Mitrione um, Sergey Karatano fight. The end of the fight, and I remember being on press row, and there were dudes saying that they would step into the cage and fight Matt Mitrione. Oh my god! <laughs> and then the next yeah. night, the, the Page Daily thing happens, and I remember. Um, walking back to the post-fight press conference, and you could just see the look on Bellator employees like, what just happened the last two nights? Yeah, you feel for them. You feel for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was supposed to be an amazing fight. And, uh, you know, I guess it wasn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, for Paul Daly, all I can think about is just the highlight real knockouts, bro. And, you know, and also hitting Josh Koscheck after the bell. I mean that was truly that was a, that 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 carried the MMA news cycle for a few weeks. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, you know, but Paul was always a guy that he just you knew he was going to come to fight. You just knew he was. Yeah, I mean he was he was uh, one of those guys in his prime. He was must watch TV, especially if he was matched up against someone who you knew wasn't going to try and take him down or couldn't take him down. A lot of guys had the ability to take him down. I mean, that was the thing. Paul Daly's defensive wrestling was not awful, but it wasn't good. It was, like, in between those two things. And, like, if he went up against John Fitch or whomever, he was going to be on his back, and he was going to get frustrated, too, when he got put on his back. But if he was going up against a guy who he could stand with, that guy was going to end his night waking up after seeing the lights. 
By the way, uh, before we uh, wrap up this show with the interview that I did with Malik Lewis is going to headline Peak Fighting 17 on Saturday. Start look ahead at UFC 271. Like this is a year of the nicknames in the UFC. There is a yeah. man making his UFC debut whose nickname is Blood Diamond. Who is who is he? What country is he from? Uh, he is from um, Australia, New Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand. Uh, Mike Mathia. He's three and zero. He is going to be taking on Jeremiah Wells. And the thing is, so if you go, if you're on the ESPN MMA page, his name is just listed as Blood Diamond. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Is this guy's real name? <laughs> it doesn't have his special name. Jesus, dude, this card has. This card has uh, 15, 15 fights. fights. What the hell, Jason? Why is there 15 fights? Because UFC knows they're probably going to lose one or two. That's true. That's true. Jeez. Man, oh, this fight's happening in Houston. Oh, why couldn't this fight happen in Australia? I guess there's a good reason, COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know that, that <laughs> one reason. Dude, can you imagine this fight happened in Australia? Holy crap. Well, I mean, obviously, that's where you'd want the fight to happen with Izzy and, and Whitaker, you know, headlining it. And then two of us, too? Yeah. Which is you? I can't remember. Does you see run cards in Auckland? They have, yeah. They have, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's probably where you would run it instead. I don't know how big the arena is, so I can't remember. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, in an ideal scenario, that's where you'd love to go if you could. God. Oh, my gosh, dude. Oh, can you imagine this? Whitaker and Adesanya in Oceania. Oh my goodness! I'm so sad we didn't see that fight there, bro. I hope maybe I hope we, because ah, I don't think we're gonna see them fight again. You know, I don't. This is a Davidson Figueredo, Brandon Moreno situation. By the way, did you see Figueredo uh, wants a million dollars for the fourth fight? I don't think he's gonna get it, man. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> hey, bro, I, I hope you get it. I hope you get it, but uh, I know yeah, you don't saw, see it happen. I know you saw Francis turn down six mil, but sorry, man. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't see them doing that. But uh, but yeah, uh, Lewis Tuivasa is the co-main event. Knock on wood, man. Make sure that fight happens because I'm excited for those top two fights at UFC 271, man. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, the the Canadier Brunson fight that that's a key matchup at, at 185 pounds. Um, is that gonna be the day before the Super Bowl? Yes, sir. Oh God, that's gonna be a great sports weekend. I'm excited. Dude, uh, you know, like you know, this past Sunday obviously was my first Sunday of uh, not having the game to do, which is always kind of a, a weird thing for me. Yeah, but like I had, I had a buddy say to me, he says he's like, man, you know, hey man, it sucks the Bucks are out of it. He goes, but he goes, in our lifetime, have we seen a better playoffs? I was like, I don't know, man, I don't know. Uh, in my lifetime, no, at least not these, these, the last these, two rounds. Yeah, these last two rounds have been unbelievable. I mean, we've had six close games that I'm pretty sure has never happened before. Like every single game in the last two rounds has been uh, down to the wire. Yeah, been down to the final play. Literally, is that all six have been down to the final play? Right? Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure they all there's, all there's come no down way, to the final play. There's no way that's happened before. Like I haven't seen the 1974 playoffs, but that sounds like it's never happened before to me. Which to me tells me the Super Bowl is probably going to be boring. I feel like we got greedy, and I think we're probably going to blow out. I just think that's how it's going to happen. Yeah, man, it's uh, I mean, it's a, it's a home game for the Bengals. It, yeah, well, yeah, because uh, it it rotates year by year of of which conference is a home team. Like last year, the NFC was a home team. Oh no, I was just saying it's a home game for the Bengals because the Rams fans won't be there. 
Dude, I, I, I think LA is going to get taken over by Bengal fans, man. That's what I'm saying, man. That's what I, I'm by saying. By the way, I didn't realize how many Bengal fans I know on my Twitter timeline. Oh, I'm sure they all followed the Ken Anderson teams and the Boomer Esiason teams. And, you know, they got a, yeah, a, bunch of, a bunch of bandwagon fans. But, I mean, you know, Joe Burrow is a really cool dude. Like, it's hard not to see why God, the bandwagon that. is there. You talk about, man, that kid's got, you talk about that star power. Oh, man. I mean, he's kind of like Joe Montana, man. Joe Montana, I'm watching this Joe Montana documentary on the Peacock. And, uh, you know, he won a Super Bowl his first full year starting. And uh, that's what Joe Burrow's trying to do. I, I saw the stat. He, if Burrow wins, he'll become the first player to win a national championship, a Heisman Trophy, and a Super Bowl. Wow. Because right now the stat would be, if he wins, it's um, what does Joe Namath have? Does Joe Namath have this national title or the Heisman national title? Probably he has a national title. Yeah. So yeah, the guys, and if you take out the Heisman, the guys with the national title in the Super Bowl I saw was Namath, Montana, and Burrow. Which is just like if you have a kid, you want to play quarterback, name him Joe. I, I will tell you this: I have not got excited for a Super Bowl halftime show in a while. I'm excited for this one. Snoop, yeah, Dre, Eminem. Like Mary last year with Flash, the week, like Mary last like, like last year, like it was the weekend, and like literally where our our broadcast location was for was like right next, essentially right above the uh, the stage. Um, but yeah, I'm not a weekend guy. Yeah, I sure I know. I sure I sure I work with a guy who's you know awesome dude. I think he's like 40. I'm not going to say his age, but he's because he, I I subscribed I subscribed uh, him to our podcast, so he might get all the way here. But you know, if you're listening, man. I love you very much, but uh, he's hyped about the Super Bowl halftime show, and I feel like he has similar musical taste to you, and yeah, he's feel, excited. I feel, I feel like if you're like in that 40 to 50 range, like this is your type, this is the, the <laughs> Super Bowl halftime show you've been looking for. And, and I thought of him because you mentioned all these names, but the one name you didn't mention is the name I'm most excited about is, is Kendrick Lamar, but he's like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I had no idea. Like, I, dude, yeah. I, I just knew the top three. I knew the top yeah. three. I had no idea Kendrick Lamar was part of it. Yeah, Kendrick Lamar is a part of it. And that's, I mean, honestly, my number one is probably Eminem. Like, Eminem was, like, big for me growing up. Like, I, when I first learned how to download songs illegally, which I didn't actually do, just kidding, uh, I downloaded all of Eminem's songs. And I would just listen to his songs on my iPod, just pacing outside. Uh, which is probably how you become Sean Strickland. I think if you just listen to Eminem all the time, you just become Sean Strickland. But yeah, I mean, he's a big, and also Mary J. Blige will be there too. The commercial for the halftime show was a badass. That was awesome. I don't know if you saw that. Did you see it? No, I did not. Oh, they did. <laughs> Look, as you're, as you're talking about pace around, um, listen, listen, Eminem on the iPad, iPod, all I can think of is that meme of Connor walking back and forth in front of his TV. <laughs> and all I would think is, you think he was jamming out Eminem at that point? Oh, you got one no. chance, one shot. <laughs> I could see it. I could absolutely see it. But uh, I don't know what the hell Connor's into, man. He's probably listening to the Dana White diss track since he made a little cameo in it. I, every time I see Connor, it's either he's partying or uh, allegedly he's going sober to get ready for his next fight. I don't know if you saw that one. You would think you would want to do that, but, you know. Who was the guy? Who, oh, Paulo Costa. This is the guy who was like drunk, drinking yeah, wine. Yeah, he, he, yeah, allegedly drank too much wine the night before his fight. Like, like why, are you, why, are you, why are you drinking? The night why are you drinking anything the day before your fight? Like, I feel like the only guy who can get away with that is Todd Tuivasa. 
Or just any heavyweight. I mean, if Paulo Costa wants to be a heavyweight, just do it, man. Yeah. I like, I think, I think what's his name? Um, Jake Collier could probably do it, too. I, I feel like a heavyweight could get, get away with it. Except for Francis. Francis is like a great god. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still amazed that knee injury did not get out before it did. Yeah, at least to the press. I'm, I am amazed, but... Yeah, they did a good job of keeping it secret and whoever. I mean, he, he said he, th- he thought Cyril Gons can't do, but, you know, it didn't get out to the press at all. I had no idea. And it, the commentators were just mentioning it because obviously he had two knee sleeves and smart of him to put two knee sleeves, not just one, to give away which one was hurt. Yeah, yeah. Still, yeah, still, still crazy to sit there and think that, you know, he won because of wrestling. <laughs> I mean, it's still crazy to, to think that. But uh, we're going to wrap up this uh, uh, week's edition of the show as you're going to hear the conversation that I had with Malik Lewis, who is going to be in the main event of Saturday's Peak Fighting 17 as he takes on Giovanni Cruz. Do want to thank everyone for taking time to download and listen to this week's episode of the podcast. Next week on the show, Manscaped back on the show. So we'll tell you about the special offer they have for the MMA Report podcast lister. So here's the conversation I have with Malik Lewis, and we will talk to you next week on the next edition of the MMA Report podcast. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that is going to be in the main event of Peak Fighting 17 come up here on Saturday night. Looks to remain undefeated. Malik Lewis, who is 3-0 in his professional career, and uh, looking at his topology page, 2014 is when uh, this this journey of taking fights took place here. Amateur debut in 2014. So, h- how does this martial arts journey start for you? Uh, actually, I was sitting in my room. I watched that movie Fightville with Dustin Poirier, and I was sitting there watching. I was like, man, I've always been an athlete and a competitor. And I was like, man, I think I could uh, do pretty good in that if I learned how to fight. <laughs> so I went to a bunch of gyms in my hometown of Abilene, Texas. And the first couple gyms I went to were, they didn't feel like an MMA gym. And I was like, yeah, this is more like karate style. I don't know about all this. And then I walked into this gym called uh, Revolutionary Fitness and MMA. And they were at the time was like a top 10 welterweight, Brandon Ferran. And he was sitting in there, and I was like, okay, this is the spot. I told him I wanted to train UFC. <laughs> and he was like, okay, good. go grab some gloves and jump in the cage. So I got beat up on, but I figured I might have a knack for it. You know, and the biggest thing I noticed was there's a, the amateur fight you had in 2014, but then your next amateur fight was not till 2017. Was that was was it just was it after that first fight you just realized like, hey man, I need to get more work in the training room before I start taking more fights? I actually joined the military, okay. so I went into the Air Force, went out to Hawaii, and when I came back to Texas, I was partying all the time, and I got a call, and they're like, hey, you want to fight? I was like, sure thing. I was in and out of the gym like maybe four or five times a week. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you mentioned about, you know, you, you had an athletic background growing up. Uh, what, what sports did you play? I wrestled. I wrestled all throughout middle school. I wrestled a, a, year, in, or a year in high school. I played football. Football was definitely probably one of the biggest I played or the one I was most concerned with. I played basketball all the time, like pickup games, and I pretty much lived in the gym. 
in, in terms of those attributes that you had on, on the gridiron and, and, and on the basketball court, what, what do you think transformed the best over into martial arts? Uh, I wouldn't say like, I mean, just the athletic, just becoming more athletic with the other sports and stuff, you know, always being competitive by playing all those sports and stuff. But I mean, wrestling hundred percent is the one that, that correlates with MMA the most. Every other one is kind of like a team sport. There's no team in MMA. Mentioned about those competitive juices. Is that about every aspect of your life? Like, you know, maybe you're playing a game of cards with the boys, you lose, you're just pissed off. Uh, I don't like to lose, but I, I don't get I don't get too upset. I'm not a sore loser, and it's part of the the game of, of growth, you know. So I don't get too upset. But yeah, I I am fed. If we bust out a deck of cards, we're gonna play for real. <laughs> uh, the nickname Hard Knock. Who who gave it to you? Uh, Coach Doug Fry. He gave me that nickname. I at the time I was going by Malik Bam Bam Lewis, and I just gave it to myself. And then uh. One day in the gym, Doug was like, we're calling you hard knock from now on. You hit too hard. So like, okay. You know, you mentioned about that wrestling background, but was there a, a moment when you started training that you realized that, you know, was there like that light bulb type moment of like, man, I've really got this power in these hands? I would say after my second fight, I was in a time in my life I had just gone out the Air Force I was partying all the time. I was in a bar when the promoter called me, and I was like, yeah, I'll come and fight this guy on three-day notice I have no idea about. And I went in there, and I beat him. And, uh, gosh, I can't I can't remember his name. That's uh, – he's going to hate me for that. But, anyways, I got out of the cage, and uh, one of the refs came up to me, and he told me, he's like, you know, if you uh, got serious – I was already drunk. As soon as I got out of the cage, I was already drinking. And so he came up to me. He said, you know, if you uh, cleaned everything up and, and really focused on this, maybe move to a, a bigger gym, he's like, you could probably go somewhere with this. And that's when I was like, okay. <laughs> Put everything up, started training my butt off. And uh, going into my third fight, I didn't drink. I didn't do any of this, didn't smoke, nothing. I was just training every day, all day. And that's when uh, – I went and got a first round knockout and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to do really good. You got this main event here on Saturday. I know I saw your Instagram. You talked about, you know, first main event for you here. You got Giovanni Cruz. What, what's the mentality heading into this one? Um, it's a great fight for me to, to know where I'm at. He's a great opponent. He's at a huge gym. He's Brazilian, you know, that alone brings a lot of clout. So, uh it's a good fight to see where I'm at. I think I'm going to do well. The mentality is going and having my best performance. You, you mentioned about the C, where you're at. Where, where do you think you're at right now in terms of your martial arts uh, abilities? I mean, I've trained with a lot of UFC fighters. I've trained with a lot of uh, some of the best fighters and stuff. I trained at Jackson Week. I think I do pretty good. I think if anybody was asked how I fare, I, I think people are definitely saying I'm ready for the USC. I believe I'm ready for the USC. I'm pretty well-rounded. Um, I'm young. I love it. It's all I do. I eat, breathe, and sleep MMA. So, I mean, I'm ready to go to the big show. I just got to earn my stripes.
you mentioned about this this is your life. It, what do you do to get your mind off the fight game? Or 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 is it or is that one of the, the toughest things for you of like, you know, you're you're trying to get some sleep and all you can think about it is, you know, what that day was like. Well, I definitely, you know, get anxious and all excited about a fight. I feel like anybody who says they don't are either crazy or they're lying. <laughs> uh but no sweat at this point. You know, I've done it a couple times. I've been in the fight game for a long time. It is another day in the office. Um, I've never lost, thank God, but I have no fear for, for the expectations or the outcomes. I'm just ready to go in there and do the thing. In, in terms of motivation, what, what is there something that, that motivates you to, to go through that daily grind? My dreams, my family, my loved ones, I want to be able to put myself in a place where I can, you know, give them whatever in the world and do a whole lot of crazy things, travel, create great memories. So that my motivation is my family for sure, my loved ones. Was your family always on board with you being a fighter? Uh, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> definitely not. At first, you know, my, my daddy's military background and all that, you know, worked for a living, this and that. And he, he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't ever against me, but he wasn't all for it. I would say it was probably till like my fourth or fifth amateur fight when I was like knocking these people out. I was undefeated where he was like, okay, you can go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever tried to get your dad in, in the room maybe do a little jujitsu work so a long time ago when i was an amateur uh like my first or second pro fight or not pro but uh amateur fight he came in there and put the gloves on with me for a second you know my dad's a, a super athlete too and he put the gloves on with me and uh he was like okay i understand <laughs> training you've been practicing <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, get to, get to, to know a little about your personality here. Uh, favorite app on your phone that is not social media related? Favorite app on my phone that's not social media related? The UFC app. <laughs> All right. All right. You, you walk into the gym and the coaches say, you got control of the music. What's going on the speakers? Oh, man. It's going to be a NBA young boy. Gucci Mane. Uh, Lil Wayne, old school Lil Wayne, probably a, a lot of that. Polo G, some rap music for sure. Now, I just kind of thought in my head would be would would your sparring partners be surprised to know what may be in your music playlist? Or or the, what, like if you sat there and said, "Hey, name five songs that are, are in Malik's playlist," they would get off right right off the bat. They'd probably be able to guess. I have such a wide range that it would probably be on there, but they would definitely be surprised at some of the things on my playlist. Absolutely. hundred percent. Like would even like your family be surprised what might be on your playlist? No, no. They hear me when I'm in the shower or something like that. When I go and visit back home, they know what I'm listening to. I've seen it. Awesome, awesome. But, of course, uh, your fight come up here on Saturday night. Peak fighting number 17 will be the main event of the fight card. Malika, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, let me know anything fight on social media and anything else you want to mention, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. You said, you said what, that last part? Uh, social media, sponsors, anything else you want to mention, man? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let me give a shout-out to uh, Tattoo Urbans in Arlington. 
They hooked me up with my ink. I came to them with a lot of rough ink, so they make it all pretty. Now I'm getting new pieces from them. Shout out to Molecular Extracts out in Oklahoma. Those are my people out there. And uh, you can follow me at Malik Hardnock Lewis on Instagram or Malik Lewis on Facebook. 